welcome back to the Santa Cruz Baptist Podcast. I'm Drew Cunningham, and I'm here with Tyler Hurst. And we are diving back into um, Mark, the book of Mark, this week, and uh, preached a sermon on Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 30. Yeah, so Drew, why don't you um, summarize that text for us, what's going on in it, uh, maybe give us a little bit of background of where we are, because we haven't been in Mark for a little while, uh, and then tell us the main point of the text. Yeah, so the overall theme of Mark is, who is Jesus? He's trying to tell us that over and over and over again, um, particularly in the first half of the book. Um, next week, we'll start seeing that along with answering the question, who is Jesus, he'll be moving towards what has he done or what did he come to do? Mm. But in this text in particular, um, he heals a blind man, and then um, Peter's blindness is, you could say, um, healed to a certain extent. Jesus asks him a question, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ. So um, just like the blind man, Peter's eyes are are opened to who Jesus is to a certain extent. Uh, We'll see that there's still... um, some blindness in Peter's life as he continues forward, but he's at least answering clearly at this point. And so mm-hmm. uh, these two sections of the text, uh, verses 22 through 26, the healing of the blind man, and then uh, Peter's confession in verses 27 through 30, parallel one another in many ways, that um, it takes Jesus for our eyes to be opened. And I think that's uh, you know what I said the main point of the text was, and what I hope that people walked away with is that Jesus gives us eyes to see him as the Christ. And I think this is such an interesting text, too, for uh, one of the ways that they, that they parallel each other. You mentioned that Peter sees kind of. Um, the blind man gets healed with two different touches. Mm-hmm. So he gets, he gets healed, uh, and then Jesus says, what do you see? And he says, well, I see people walking around, but they're like blurry. They're like tall like trees or something like that. Uh, and then Peter confesses the Christ, but as we know... Um, from prior knowledge of the Gospels, like, he doesn't really have a clear grasp on what that means. Right. The Uh, next two texts deal with Peter being called Satan mm -hmm. um, because he rebukes Jesus. And then the following text after that, Mm -hmm. um, Peter's up on the the Mount of Transfiguration trying to build huts for Mm -hmm. Elijah and Moses. So Uh he clearly still doesn't understand all there is to understand about Jesus and about his messiahship particularly. And I think that's such a good reminder for us to be humble in how we view Jesus and to, to need the scriptures. Um, I think there's so many people who we've talked previously on this podcast when we were in the gospel of Mark. Um, there's so many people who come to Jesus with preconceived notions. They want to sort of fit Jesus into their mentality for what he's like. Exactly. Um, rather than going to the scriptures and having our image of who Jesus is refined again and again by the word of God. Right. And I think that's, you know, again, in next week's text, uh, it's humbling to see Mm -hmm. someone, you know, Peter, who we know was a believer. Mm -hmm. His confession of Christ was correct. Yes. Um, And yet still for him to to whiff so hard on these things, um, it's humbling and just reminds us that we need to be charitable in how we view others, uh, other Christians, and charitable in how we think of ourselves, or I guess more humble in, in how we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I was reminded recently how um, distorting at sometimes going to a Christian university or going to a seminary can be, because sometimes it 
you forget who the good guys and bad guys are because you're surrounded by so many Christians that the things that become different is what kind of Christian you are rather than whether or not you worship Christ. Hmm. Uh, but we could talk about that for a long period of time. Uh, one of the places I wanted to get to was um, you got asked an interesting question on Sunday because this text has a pretty big history behind it having to do with what Jesus says about what Peter about how Peter answers his question. Peter answers the question, you are the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus says to him, what? Yeah, so in our text in Mark 8, um, Jesus simply tells him, like, basically... Don't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, Matthew kind of fills it out a little bit more Mm -hmm. for us. And so we we spent some time in in that text, Matthew 16 on Sunday. And so Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And then Matthew 16, verse 17, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So um, there's probably been more ink spilled on what the meaning of this text is than most other texts in Scripture. Um, And so someone was asking me, yeah, what do you you think about that? What is Jesus saying to Peter um, when he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church. And just for a little bit of background before you get into the various interpretations, that is a big text that Catholics in particular look at for um, evidence for the biblical office of Pope, so right. the head of the bishop. So so they believe that Peter, which Peter means rock, mm-hmm. uh, so on this rock, on this Petros, I will build my church. And so they're saying, yes, yeah, so the church is built on Peter, the first pope, and therefore the office of pope gets handed down throughout the ages. Right. So that's one option uh, mm-hmm. for that text. That We're when, Baptists, though, so we don't <laughs> take that option. <laughs> you know, when, when Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock, that they interpret that as Jesus meaning Peter. Um, this, talking about Peter. Um, and so, um, yeah. That, so in a sense, the question is, when Jesus says this, what is he pointing at? Bingo. So mm-hmm. the other two options for what this rock is are, one, um, Jesus pointing back at himself. You know, you are Peter. Picture you're pointing with your, your fingers, and then you point back at yourself with your thumbs. Um, you, you are Peter. <laughs> yeah, you are Peter, mm-hmm. and then point back at Jesus. And on this rock, speaking of himself... I will build my church. Um, so that's the second option, is that Jesus is referring to himself as the rock that the church mm. will be, be built on. Um, and then the third option is that this rock refers to Peter's confession, um, that you are the Christ. Um, so this rock would be referring to that truth that Peter mm-hmm. has just confessed. And I, you know, I, I think my answer to the question, what does it mean? I think it's a combination of options two and three. Um, I don't believe that the church is built on Peter himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe in a succession of, of popes that the church is built on, um, but the church is built on the person of Christ and on the confession that he is the Christ. And so I, I see a combination of options two and three there. There is also a lighter um, 
a lighter option of being built on him, if I'm recalling my hermeneutics and New Testament classes well, in the sense that when Jesus says this, he if he's pointing at Peter, he is then prophesying Acts 2. So on this rock, on Peter, I will build my church, as in, after I die and resurrect and ascend into heaven, you, Peter, are going to preach a sermon in which 3,000 people are going to get saved, and that is the beginning of the church. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, that, uh, again, there have been whole books written mm-hmm. on this text alone, um, but in Mark 8, in our text, um, it seems to center on not Peter the person, but on his confession. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, in, in our text, that is what leads to Peter's eyes being opened, is this confession that he's made. And again, there, there's parallels between Jesus healing the blind man um, in the front of our text, and then telling him, don't enter the village. And then Peter confessing Christ and him saying, don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and Again, I think part of the reason is that that Peter's eyes weren't fully opened yet. He didn't completely understand all that there was to understand, and it wasn't time for Jesus to die yet. And I think there's a couple of things that are helpful to note in what you just said. The first is that uh, we have to take each gospel for what it says and understand them both in harmony and individuality, which means we have to understand that Mark and Matthew tell the same story, and understanding how each of them tells it helps helps us understand the story. Mm-hmm. But we also have to understand that Mark tells it in such a way in which it directs us towards one particular answer to that question. Right. That that it might be Jesus, but actually the reading of Mark more clearly would point to the confession itself right. because of the tie to the blind man. The other thing that stands out to me is, for sake of argument, assume the Catholic Church is right, um, or the softer version of that is right, where it's pointing at Peter, and you, Peter, on you, I will build my church. Uh, It would still be a hard-pressed understanding for the current understanding of the Pope, given that the next two um, passages that we're going to look at in the Gospel of Mark, you don't get a very high view of Peter. So you're specifically talking about papal infallibility. Yeah. Yeah. So you have this understanding of the Pope. um, There are, uh, well, one, in certain circumstances and during certain ceremonies, the Pope cannot say something wrong. He's infallible uh, as if he is the Word of God himself. Right. So when he does that, he's speaking what's called ex cathedra. Mm -hmm. But even, even in other circumstances, because of the office of Pope, he still speaks authoritatively. Right. Uh, and so things like um, papal interviews, where as a big controversy with the current Pope is he will do interviews with people and he's notoriously vague. Mm-hmm. And so there's this almost like media game around Catholic, uh, around conservative Catholic and liberal Catholic circles of trying to interpret what the Pope means when he gives these interviews. Right. And all of those things seem to place a high value on the Pope's words, whereas what we get from Peter is actually a picture of a guy who's regularly being humbled um, because he's misstepping. And so we have to ask the question about how much authority should a church leader have? We obviously believe uh, that pastors and elders should have a certain amount of of, um, authority, but as Congregationalists, we actually uh, subjugate that authority to a certain extent to the body of believers with which we are a part as members as well. 
Right, and our authority is derived from Scripture. Mm-hmm. That that's where our authority comes from, is as it's tied to and tethered to the text of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So, as Drew said, there's a lot that could be said about this. There's um, entire books written about it. Uh, I would just suggest you know pick up a good commentary on the Gospel of Mark, uh, and they'll walk you through these sorts of things. Uh, but there's another thing that we wanted to point out here in the text in Mark, uh, and it has to do with sort of the situation or circumstance, you could say the setting of the passage. Uh, and so the passage begins by telling us that these events took place on the way. Yeah. So this is one of those cutting room floor things that didn't end up in the sermon, but I think is worth us thinking on. Uh, in verse 27, it says, and Jesus went on with his disciples. He's just healed this blind man. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Um, so uh, something that I want to point out there is that discipleship often happens on the way. Um, that Jesus does this kind of thing all the time, but here it's explicit. And on the way, he asked his disciples these questions. So uh, I don't know about you, but I often think of discipleship as happen- happening in more of a formal setting, um, mm-hmm. sometimes a classroom setting, or maybe at a coffee shop with books opened. And, you know, th- those are good things. But more often than not, Jesus is teaching as he's going, mm-hmm. um, or on the way. And so uh, I would just encourage people to think about that. Um, what does on the way look like for you? Maybe discipleship happens while you're out playing golf, um, riding around in a cart with, with your Christian friend. Um, maybe it happens while you're out hiking um, and talking about the things of the Lord. Um, I don't know what it is for, for you, but what would it look like for discipleship to happen on the way, in addition to these formal settings that, that we often do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had a professor um, at Biola University when I was an undergraduate, uh, Eric Tonis. Um, hi, Dr. Tonis, if you ever listen to this. Uh, but he used to refer to living your life parenthetically. And what that meant is we often have these times in our lives, sometimes there's a huge chunks, sometimes there's really small chunks, but we put things in parentheses uh, while we wait for the real activities to happen. And when we put things in parentheses, what we do is we functionally make that dead time. And so if we think about things like, oh, I'll take my faith seriously, you know, when I finish college, or I'll take, you know, I'll... Um, I'll get involved in this, like I'll, I'll join a church and get involved in church ministry and stuff like that after I'm married or when I settle down or something. And what you're doing then is you're, you're putting that stage of life in parentheses and you're essentially just making it go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're not using it well. And there's all sorts of times in our lives where we can do this that are functionally on the way times. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think, uh, just to use a personal example, one of the primary times I get time to disciple my oldest son uh, is there's about a 15-minute drive from our house to his school. Uh, and one of the things that I've realized is that my son listens to basically everything that I say, positive or negative. Uh, and so when I'm driving him to school, I try each, you know, a couple of times a week to make sure I pray out loud um, and ask him if there's anything that we can pray for. And it's just, you know, 15 minutes while we're in the car getting him to school. Uh, but those times are times where we're on the way going somewhere, but he's picking up and learning uh, from 
from me what it's like to pray and things like that as we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be so easy just to put on a podcast or put on some music and crank up the volume or something like that as we go. Um, he has no problem just sitting and staring at one of his books in the back seat, and I have no problem listening to music. But if we put that time in parentheses, that's 15 minutes of the day that I, I had with my son that I could waste or I right. could use to really just you know do something meaningful. So, so I think of Deuteronomy 6 here, and this is a, a call to Christian parents, um, and it says this. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. So like when you're hanging out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you walk by the way. So like when you're traveling somewhere, exactly like what you just described. And when you lie down and when you rise, so like before you go to bed and then when you get up in the morning, these are opportunities for us to be discipling our children. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this applies not just to children, but to how Jesus is doing it to his own disciples. Yeah. And so uh, as we close out, that's just kind of my, my challenge to us and challenge to myself even, is what does it look like to do on the way discipleship, um, kind of in those moments that could be throwaway moments that you could turn around and use for the kingdom. (laughs) So with that, we are done for the day and really look forward to this weekend studying um, Jesus's words to Peter and the rest of the disciples and to us of what it means to follow him. Uh, We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. And so we will see you again next week. I'd see you next week.